You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. We pray this message encourages you today. Thanks for listening. Well, last week I was driving my wife to work, and after I dropped her off, I was heading back home, and I stopped at the stoplight not far from her workplace, and what I realized in that moment was that I actually did not have my cell phone. I was about ready to check my emails, don't judge me, I know you've done this as well, at a stoplight, but I didn't have this. So my mind just had 30 seconds to wonder. I I was experiencing a moment of boredom. (laughs) I did not have any digital distraction. Now, who knows what happened in 2007? What came out in 2007? The iPhone, right. And uh, historians would agree that that year, 2007, was the start of the digital age. The iPhone came out. Facebook went from being just on a college campus to being global. A microblog called Twitter was launched. And since then, we have never been as connected that we ever have, right? But we've, since then, we've never been more distracted than ever. We just don't have moments with nothing to do, moments of boredom. For those who grew up in the digital age, and who, had, and who always, knew, uh, always knew the world with a smartphone, uh, you have no clue what I'm talking about. For you Gen Zers out there, uh, you know, let me explain it in terms that you can understand. It's like going somewhere and having a slow Wi-Fi connection or it taking your Instagram feed about two seconds to load, right? So Gen Zers, multiply that by a thousand and you know what I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> There was a time when you would get on an airplane and fly to a different city, and after you were finished with your book, you had nothing to do. Look out the window, you could talk, if you're an extrovert, you could talk to the person next to you. When you're waiting in line at the coffee shop, nothing to do. There was a time when that happened, waiting for the bus. Do you remember, for those of you that, uh, you know, are a little older, do you remember going to the movie theater? and waiting for the movie to start with nothing to do? No digital distraction? Now, none of us want to go back to the pre-digital world, right? You know, I think we all agree that things like maps on your phone is a really good thing. But, you know, according to research, there is a, we live in a world of distraction. And according to research, do you know how many times the average person touches their smartphone? not picks up their smartphone, but touches it. The average person touches their smartphone 2,617 times a day, on average. If you're a millennial, double that. (laughs) Understand that the digital carnivore in your pocket is designed to distract you and to keep your attention. Now, you won't be surprised to learn that the average adult's attention span is pretty small. In 2000, uh, research was done that the average attention span of an adult was about 12 seconds. (laughs) Not Not that much, right? But 24 years later, this year, it's eight seconds. Now, 
the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. Listen, we are losing to a goldfish. And it's only getting worse. Listen to this quote by Dallas Willard. He says, our households and offices are filled with the worrying, buzzing, murmuring, chattering, and whining of the multiple contraptions that are supposed to make life easier. And so in the busyness of life, in our digital age, where noise and distractions abound, we are being robbed of the ability to be present. To be present to God, to be present to other people, to be present to all the good and beautiful and true that's in the world, and even uh, present to ourselves. For the serious Christian, this is not something to be taken lightly, because the noise of this world will make you deaf to the voice of God. I mean, how do you have a deep, rich spiritual life with Jesus if you can't pay, any, pay attention any longer than a goldfish? Uh, like, how do you pray? How do you open God's word, God's text message to you? And how do you read it and listen for the Holy Spirit when the dopamine dispenser is sitting right next to you, right? Ready to give you that quick bath of dopamine for your brain, which feels really good, but leads nowhere. So here's the question. Is there a spiritual practice that can help you? Help me eliminate hurry from our lives. A spiritual practice that will help us step away from our screens and the noise and the busyness of life to actually settle our souls down. So here's the question. Do you have a practice that helps you with this? And the answer from looking at Jesus, we're going to look at Jesus in a second. The answer is absolutely yes, we have a practice. And we're going to look at Jesus to see what practice that is. In this series, we're actually looking at spiritual practices of Jesus that teach us actually how to slow down, how to eliminate hurry from our lives. Last week, we took a look at the Sabbath. We learned about the Sabbath. Today, I want to focus on, I believe, is one of the most radical of all. It's not R&R, it's SNS. Silence and solitude. Say silence with me. Silence. Say silence. silence. Whisper solitude. Solitude. Practice of silence and solitude. This is the number one keystone habit of Jesus, friends, that connected him deeply to his heavenly Father. And I believe was the secret power for him in his life and ministry. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus needed silence and solitude every day of his life. How much more do we need it? How much more do you and I need it in our 24-7 world of noise, digital distraction, and hurry? I would just argue that silence and solitude are vital to our soul survival here in 2024 and going forward. So let's learn from Jesus. Jesus models for us a lifestyle, a way of life where he stays deeply connected to the Father. So if you want to open your Bibles, if you have your Bibles to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. Uh, the verse starts off, at the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, he got baptized. And it says, when he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my son who I, what? Love. With him I am what? Well pleased. I mean, first, can you imagine just starting your ministry and having your heavenly father say this about you? This is my son 
who I love. I am pleased with him. He is a delight. For Jesus, this was more than a spiritual high. This was the launching pad from which he was able to live his life and do his ministry. But what I want you to see is that in the very next verse, it says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by who? The devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, what's strange is that right after the baptism, the Holy Spirit says, okay, Jesus, you're filled up. Now I'm going to send you into the desert. That's strange, isn't it? And I'm going to send you there to be all alone and get attacked by Satan. What's going on? I'll tell you what this means. The word desert here doesn't necessarily mean a hot, dry place. The Greek word can be translated desert, deserted place, the lonely place. My favorite is the quiet place. Now, there are dozens of stories in the Gospels about Jesus' relationship to the quiet place. And this is the first desert story that we see in the New Testament. And I want you to see that this is the starting point for Jesus' life and ministry. But it's just strange, right, that the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. What's going on here? For those of you that have seen Star Wars, you remember the battle in the desert between Rey and Kylo Ren, right? Um, All of the good and evil stories, right? They always have some type of battle at the climax climax of the story. But why is is it the desert here? Why alone and why after 40 days of fasting and prayer where Jesus is weak and hungry? To be honest, I always thought the answer is this is the way the devil works, right? This is his M.O., He comes to us when we're weak, at the very end of a long day, when we're hangry, right? And we're at our worst. But that's not what Matthew is saying. The desert, the quiet place, is not the place of weakness. It's the place of strength. It's the place of strength for Jesus, and it's the place of strength for you and me as Christians, those that follow Jesus. The quiet place is where Jesus downloaded divine strength from the Father, to resist and actually overcome the devil. So the Holy Spirit leads him out into the desert because it's in the quiet place where Jesus is alone, all alone, where after his soul is stripped for not eating for a month and a half, he rises up with the strength to deliver a throat punch to the devil, right? And he leaves the desert and he starts preaching the good news. He starts his ministry. This is why over and over in the Gospels, you're going to see Jesus returning to the quiet place time and time again. In fact, Mark chapter 1, we see that Jesus' first day on the job as Messiah, it's like a marathon day. Have you ever had one of those Mondays? Uh, So we read in chapter 1, Jesus is teaching in the temple. He's talking about God's word. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law and heals her. And and then he's up late at night because all of these people are coming to him for healing and to be, uh, actually for demons to be cast out of them. You know, And, and, and you think your Monday is busy, right? Jesus is beyond exhausted. And so what do you think he does the next day? Sleep in? Watch a little Netflix? That's what I do, right? But it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he what? Here, what did he do? Prayed. I mean, gosh, you think, cut the guy a break, right? Let him sleep in till 11. Maybe go out to brunch with his disciples, have an omelet with egg whites, have a little herbal tea, right? Take a nap. 
You've earned it. But Jesus, he's up early, out the door, and where does he go? Right back to the quiet place to be with his father. I want you to think about this. Jesus spends 40 days in the quiet place. He comes back for one day of work, and then he goes right back to the quiet place. This means that the quiet place wasn't a one-time deal. This was a regular part of his routine. It was a part of the rhythms of his life. He routinely made space for silence and solitude, and that is the inner core where he drew his strength. But the story isn't over. Who knows that Mondays are never over? It says in Mark chapter 1, verses 36 and 37, Simon, this, now this is the apostle Peter, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And I love this because it's so real. It's just you get a, 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 this, this real take on the disciples and how they're feeling. And when they found him, and what is he doing? He's praying. He's, having, he's at a quiet place, right? He's, 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 at, he's, having his, his, he's in silence. They exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. So I'll give you a modern translation, okay? Jesus, you killed it yesterday. Word is out. The New York Times wants to do an interview. TMC is crouching down out the window of Peter's house. Uh, Twitter is blowing up, hashtag Messiah, right? Uh, you need to get back here and be with all these people that want to be with you. But what does Jesus do? Look at this. Next verse, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. The noise and the crowds are over here. What does Jesus do? He goes this way, over here. One of the things that strikes me about this passage is the laser-like clarity Jesus has about his calling. His friends are pressuring him. They want to hijack his schedule. And now he's like, no, 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 no. He's grounded. He's centered. He's at peace. Yeah because he's laser-focused on his God-given purpose. Friends, Jesus knew exactly what to say yes to, and even more importantly, he knew what to say no to, to eliminate the hurry in his life. That's the power of the quiet place, a place where you draw the love of the Father to quiet your soul, to be silent, to receive divine direction for your daily assignments. Now, we haven't even gotten to Luke's gospel yet, and in Luke's gospel, Jesus went to the quiet place no less than nine times. So one more story, and then we'll talk about what this means for you. This next one, this next story is from Luke chapter 5, verses 16, 15 and 16. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more. Jesus is becoming more famous. So that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. <clears throat> but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You want to guess what, the, uh, what this lonely place is? It's the same word in Greek, the quiet place, right? It means the quiet place. In other words, it was a daily practice. It was a spiritual routine. Jesus frequently stepped away and made it a point to prioritize silence and solitude for the very simple reason, because Jesus understood that time alone with his father was more important than life itself, more important than sleep, more important than food for his body, more important than popularity, more important than followers, even more important than his ministry. Listen, if you read the Gospels, you're going to see this pattern where it's like the busier and more popular Jesus becomes, 
the more he's going to the quiet place, right? He's there to be alone with God. And what is that for you? How does that work for you and me? When we get busier, when the demands of life are overwhelming, you know what? Our quiet, for me anyway, I'll speak for me, you know, I, I actually uh, start to not have my quiet time, right? I actually don't do it when I need to do more of it. We rarely have the instinct to pull away to a quiet place and listen to God. Let him settle us in the deepest parts of our soul. In college, I remember that my college pastor, who worked with our Christian student group, he encouraged me to practice silence in my life, silence and solitude in my life. And I remember he, one day he just gave me this mug that had this uh, scripture on it, Psalm 46.10, that says, be still and know that I am God. You know, I'm one of these guys that's got to be active. I've got to be on the go. I don't sit still for long. And he, it was just his way to encourage me, Dave, you know, you got to be still. You got to meet with God. You got to be in the quiet, in the presence of Jesus. Now, I'm not like you. We all have unique, unique situations, right? Um, maybe for you, you're a full-time mom and you've got Star Trek Legos on the floor, right? And you're telling me, Pastor Dave, like the only way this can happen for me is if I lock myself in the, in the bathroom. <laughs> I get it. Or maybe uh, you're, you know, like Pastor Dave, I work a high-stress job. You know, I'm out the door at 4.30 in the morning. I've got a killer commute to work. This just isn't going to work for me. Or maybe you're an extrovert with ADHD, maybe never diagnosed, but you're like, you know what? Silence and solitude, that just doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work for me. But let's stop to think about this. Think, of, think about this with me. Jesus, the Son of God, needed time every day to go to the quiet place. And you think you don't? See, down through the centuries, these spiritual practices of Jesus have come to be called silence and solitude, and it's the place where God speaks to your soul, the deepest places where you can find true rest, soul rest. So the definition I want to propose to you this morning is silence and solitude is intentional time in the quiet to be alone with God and ourselves, ourselves and God. Intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. So to do this, what do we got to do? Well, we have to disrupt the normal habits of our lives. That's the hardest part. Change your habits. Take stuff away. Take stuff out of your life. What can I take off my schedule? What can I do less of? What can I do without? It's not about adding it's about taking away. So first, let's talk about silence. We want to silence the external noise. We want to silence the external noise. We want to get away from noise and distractions. Don't pick up your phone. Don't turn on your favorite show when you're cooking. Don't listen to your music while you're working out. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Screw Tape Letters, demons are railing against silence as the danger to their cause to ruin the Christian soul. Senior demon Screwtape calls the devil's realm a kingdom of noise. I think, honestly, Dave and Buster's is part of the realm of the devil. <laughs> Have you ever been there? First, silence the external noise. Second, silence your own noise. What do I mean? Practice not talking. The idea is that I don't say things. James 1 
26 says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Proverbs 10:19 says, when words are many, sin is not absent. You know, I'm a talker and I find that the more I talk, the more chance I have to offend somebody, the more chance I have to say something that is taken wrong, right? You extroverts, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, you introverts know what I'm talking about too, that live with extroverts or no extroverts. Um, so how does this help us, right? How does this help us? It helps us to have more control over what we say and when we say it, what we say and when we say it. There is a, a story uh, of a pastor who went and was visiting uh, his son's college campus, and he, he went to see his son, and he, as he was waiting for his son, he got talking to this mother who was waiting for her daughter, and with this mother was her eight-year-old son. And it was unbelievable. It, it was a nonstop conversation with this woman, one-sided, uh, by this mother, talking about her life, talking about her work, talking about all the troubles that she was having right now. And actually, this pastor got to know this woman in a little under an hour better than some of his friends in his friend group. That's how much she was talking about, about what was going on with her. And so the daughter came down, and she continued to talk, saying to the daughter, hey, we got to go. We got to you know, go pick up some dinner. We got to go pick up your dad. Um, and then I got to go uh, stop by and pick up some buttons. And the son, first time he says anything for about an hour, says this, mother, you need a button for your mouth. <laughs> True story. Silence is a button for your mouth. If you struggle with gossip, if you're tempted to do self-promotion, to let people know how smart you are, Man, I feel that one. To lie, to engage in sarcasm. I've had to bite my lip where it's almost bleeding to, let people, to, to not let people know, yes, I know about that. Or yes, I've read that book. Or yes, I've accomplished that. At the end of Jesus' life, when he was on trial, he didn't defend his cause. What was he? What was he doing? Was he talking? He was silent, completely silent. What he did in that moment was remarkable. He was the lamb before his shearers. Listen, Jesus practiced silence a lot to be silent when it mattered most. Third thing is silence the internal noise. There's all this noise and mental clutter, right, in our heads, all this chaos going on up here. And we want to just slow down, right? We want to slow down the thoughts Slow down the thoughts about maybe getting even with somebody. The bitterness, the worry, squirrel, the distraction, the distraction thoughts. It's not just the music, okay, or the noise of the city or traffic, or that my home or apartment is loud or whatever. It's the internal noise. Silence is where we quiet all three noises, the external noise, your own noise, and the internal noise. Dallas Willard says silence and solitude go hand in hand. Solitude gives us the space to be silent. So let's look at solitude. Uh, Henry Nouwen says, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to have a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. So how do we practice solitude? Well, first, by going away from other people. I go away from other people to a quiet place. 
And the reason this is so powerful, the reason this is so moving and, and effective in our lives is because we're moving away from the patterns of interaction that we have with others in our daily lives. Where we have to answer questions like this. What do they expect of me? Maybe it's my boss's expectations or my spouse's expectations or my significant other's expectations. What is the other person looking for? How do I try to please you or deal with you? How do I get from you what I want? All of these things lock us into patterns of thought and behavior that we cannot get out of when we're around another person. Right now, Pastor Jeremy's in the room. And what's going on in my head is, what does Pastor Jeremy think about this sermon? How does he think this sermon is going? I can't shut that off. But when I'm in the quiet place, when I'm all by myself, I'm free. My soul can rest. And that's what solitude does. I can be so captivated by what other people think about my job or how my wife or kids think about how I'm doing as a husband or father, about how people are evaluating my life. But it's in the quiet place, listen, that I can feel my body in my body, a freedom and rest from that. Things don't matter. These things don't matter in the quiet place. One of the first times that I went and uh, experienced an extended time of solitude was in college. I went to this retreat center in Ticonderoga, PA, and I got to tell you, it was hard to be there for two days with my thoughts. As an extrovert, it was very difficult. But after about a half of a day, I was able to quiet my mind. I was able to calm down and just start to meet with God in that moment, in those moments that I had there. So, so how do we do solitude? How do we practice solitude? Number two, by being realistic. When you enter into solitude, be realistic. You might have those profound, deep thoughts and interactions with God that you thought, you might not have those, those profound thoughts and interactions with God that you thought you might have, right? It usually doesn't work that way for most people. Um, because when you go into solitude, you know, I'm bringing me with my mind, right? And what's going on in my head and in my heart, right? We don't magically become different. So my mind wanders all over the place with all kinds of thoughts about being successful or about being angry and getting even and, uh, you know, about uh, all kinds of thoughts. And instead of thinking these are interruptions in my time with God, if my mind keeps wondering to something, that's probably precisely what we should be talking to God about. If I'm angry with someone, I want to get revenge. Why is that, God? God, help me to forgive like you forgave me. My ambition is destroying my marriage. God, why, what's going on? Why am I serving my ambition more than I'm serving you? Why am I so filled with fear about my kids? about my future. Those are the types of thoughts that come to us in the quiet place. These are the types of thoughts that we have in solitude. Sit with them. Go there. Bring them to God. So be realistic with it. Third, don't try to be heroic. Don't try to be heroic. Don't try to take on too much. Uh, don't think that you're this spiritual superstar, Mother Teresa. You can spend all this time in solitude. We just want to encourage you today to start somewhere and do a little, maybe do something if you're not doing anything. 
So I'm not saying that you need to be like a monk that doesn't talk all day, right? That's not what I'm saying, okay? I want to encourage you today to plan to have simple moments of solitude and set times of solitude. Simple moments of solitude and set times of solitude. So simple moments of solitude. This week, just take some moments of mini solitude. Every day brings numerous opportunities, doesn't it? To take mini moments of solitude. Simple moments. You're getting in the car and you don't turn on the music. You're at home and you're just being silent, maybe looking out the window. You go outside, you go into nature, and you hear the breeze or you listen to the birds. Our days are filled with so many opportunities like this. I encourage you, take those many moments of solitude. The other thing is us having set times of solitude. So pick a time and a place. Uh, if you're an extrovert like me, it might be a little bit harder to, to do this, a uh, more extended time of solitude. You know, for an extrovert, uh, it wouldn't be so bad to go into solitude if, it wa- if we could bring a few friends along, right? Uh, so, uh, but you know what? For an extrovert, it doesn't mean that you're less spiritual if you have a harder time, okay? It could be 15, 30 minutes a, a day that you set aside. For me, it's 30. I'm not as spiritual as you. I I need about 15 minutes for the thoughts in my head to quiet down. It's like monkeys in there swinging from trees to tree. If you're a night person, schedule some time at night. If you're a morning person, set the alarm 30 minutes early. If you're more of somebody who wants to do this during, you have more time during the middle of the day, schedule it for then. So find a time and then find a place. Maybe it's a spot in your home. For me, I sit on the couch by one of the windows, and I meet with God there in the quiet. I drink my coffee. I look out the window. I allow God to bring thoughts to my mind in the quiet. Maybe it's a walk in the park or another location that's peaceful and quiet. For some of you, you're going to be able to do longer moments, longer times of solitude. Okay? Maybe it's a couple hours. Maybe it's a half day. Maybe it's a day. Maybe it's two days. Every year, I plan in January or February to take about two or three days alone with God, just like a prayer retreat. And I don't go with anybody else. It's just me. And uh, this uh, past uh, week, I was actually up in the Catskills. Beautiful. It wasn't sunny, but it was still beautiful. Uh, You know, I took a walk during that time where the sun was setting, uh, walking down this quiet road. And... um, And I just was, you know, at a place that was peaceful and quiet, beautiful setting. And you know what? I allowed God to meet with me in that that time. And he did a couple of things. He clarified a couple of things for me. He's like, you know, Dave, I, I really want you to have more of my heart when it comes to being kind and gracious. My heart, my father's heart in that way. And a couple other things, a couple other things, you know, for me, in, the, in that moment, it was, had to do with relationships. There's, there's people in my life that I need to be more intentional with. Um, I need to be focusing more on caring for them and, and, and loving them. And then every time I do this, I do this once a year for two or three days, and this might surprise you, but there's a moment when I start crying. God touches my heart about something. God touches my, you know, it brings a thought into my mind. And I honestly, I start sobbing. <laughs> I'm not a crier. And, but it's only in those times, right, that God can meet me in that way because I'm in solitude. I'm not around other people. I'm not around distractions. 
right? I'm not having conversations with other people. So find a time and find a place. How can you enter into longer, more extended times of solitude? As I, as I close today, I want you to remember, solitude, listen, solitude is not about doing more. It's about doing less, okay? It's not about things you do. It's about things you don't do. You don't engage in conversation. You don't engage in, in distraction. You don't have conversations. It's about what you don't do. It's kind of like a jar, you know? And when you go into solitude, when you go to the quiet place, it's like you have this jar and you have prayer, you know, you have the Bible, you have, maybe you have like, you wanna take some time to self-examine yourself, you know, things like that. You have this jar and you can pull those things out, right? During your time with God, that quiet time with God. But that's not the main goal. The main goal is to be quiet, to be still in the presence of God. Don't go into it with this big plan of all these books you're going to read, all these, you know, all these, uh, all the, all these uh, you know, people that you're going to pray for, right? Sometimes we can be like that. You know, I got I to do all this stuff. It's not about doing. It's about being. Be a human being in the presence of God, not a human doing. So don't worry about what you're going to do when you get into the presence of God in solitude. As we close today, let me ask you, is there room in your life, in your busy, noisy life to settle your soul? Listen, if you settle down and stick with it, if you lean into silence and embrace the discomfort, something happens. Rest for your soul, freedom, and clarity. You see the good, you see the bad and the ugly but you also feel the freedom from the oppression of a hurried life. We're just finishing up these 21 days of prayer and many of you have gotten close to God. You've gotten some clarity on some things. Some of you have had some real breakthroughs and I wanna encourage you just to build on that by embracing this practice of silence and solitude. Quiet yourself down, allow the Lord to give rest to your soul and bring what's in there deep down to the surface, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting me today, like he invited his disciples in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. You know, I wonder if we started off this year, 2024, and committed ourselves to this practice of silence and solitude, what would change in our lives? How would our families be different? How would our relationships be different? This church you took stuff out of your life so you could be silent, if you planned small times, many moments of solitude and set times of solitude, if you decided, you know, I'm not going to talk as much, you know, it, you would be more grounded. You would be more centered and you'd be able to face the challenges that come your way in life. You'd be able to overcome the temptations of the devil as you calm your soul and meet in the presence of Jesus in the quiet. Let's pray together today. God, we come before you and we, we admit that we are so captivated by the hurry and the distraction and the busyness of life. But God, you want more for us. And I pray that today as we 
commit to this practice of silence and solitude that you through your Holy Spirit would give us the power to do this, to break the habits that are so hard to break. We are such a creature, we are so creatures of habit to take things out of our life, to, to, to take things off of our schedule so we can meet with you and feel calm and peace in the deepest parts of our soul. Thanks for how good you are to us. Thanks that you know what's good for us. And God, help us to trust you today, to believe you today, that these practices are good for us. They have our best in mind. And as we do these things, help us to trust you with everything else. Or we worry a lot. We have a lot of fears. But Lord, as we commit to this, help us to trust you that our lives will be different that you will make us into the person that you're trying to make us. And all of the peace, all of the joy, all of the, uh, all of the goodness that comes with that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org or follow us on social media.